Hey everyone, welcome to episode 166 of the MTG Grindcast, the ban happiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Caster Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee, thank you for your edit to my show notes intro. Was that the first time you saw it when you were reading it out? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you started breaking. I'm proud that you got the intro through. I think it was a pretty clean read. I think I only broke visibly, so yeah, you yeah. know, which is fine for podcast purposes. Gotta lift up the curtain, you know. Right, just a just a smidge, just so you can see like my. Ruby slippers. I know that's totally mixing up the roles, but um. <laughs> so we got a ban, and we actually got three bans. I know there's like stuff happened in historic and brawl or whatever, but only really care about the three bans in standard. Yeah, we're just gonna talk about standard today. Yeah, t- today is all standard. We're gonna talk about the bans themselves. And then I have actually been playing quite a bit of standard since the ban happened. Uh, it kind of energized me to take a look at the format and spend some real time with it. So I will be reporting back with what I have learned. And honestly, the things I've seen of standard does make me want to play it more. So I wouldn't be surprised if this weekend I set aside some time and actually play standard. I've had <laughs> a lot of fun first time since like a Coria released. Yeah. <laughs> but it was the last time I like sat down and played a lot of standard. I mean, it's a little hard to get pure enjoyment out of it because you're sitting there wondering, like, when the other shoe is going to drop the whole time. Like, when am I going to play against something that's like, oh, no, that, okay, I get it now. Like, or or is it that, oh, crap, Red Black really kind of isn't beatable? Like, what is, what you know, what's going on here? How are we going to see this format just become an absolute cesspool? I'm not going to think about that right now. <laughs> so we got rid of omnath obvious yep we should have got rid of him two weeks ago absolutely but sold some more packs to some people who now have omnath so they'll i guess you can play it in modern but definitely overpaid for that purpose i am eyeballing them to pick up a few pretty copies for modern sure and, Pi- and pioneer honestly whenever i can get out and play because those, those cards are still good. Like, everyone's figuring out to, you know, briefly tangent into modern. Everyone's messing around with uh, Utopia Sprawl, Ren and Six, Omnath stuff, which is a sure. really good core for a four-color deck. You just play whatever you want after that. Yeah. At yeah. Canister was playing cat, cat combo. Dylan was messing around with an Urza shell with those with that package. Mm-hmm. Just, like, trying to go, like, turbo control mid-range sure. instead of being a combo deck. Oh, cat combo is really cute with it because, like, if you blink Omnath, you get to, I mean, you draw another card, but if you have more fetches or whatever, you can do stuff again. And same thing, if you Sahili to copy your Omnath, you may be able to do more landfall triggers or whatever. That's, yeah. like, pretty cute. Yeah, it's, it's the, I, I think the main power of Omnath in Modern is coming from, like, the Utopia's Providence 6 stuff, because mm-hmm. you get your... Omnath out early with Utopia Sprawl and Ren 6, you just never run out of fetch lands ever. So right, you're always right. getting a mana adv- advantage off of uh, Omnath. Yeah. It's like something I'm looking forward to playing with. Cool. So anyways, not in standard anymore. Thank goodness. Yes. Also banned Lucky Clover, which this makes a ton of sense to me. Even if the the deck that Omnath were being successful in was not just Adventures plus Omnath, like Lucky Clover would be the base of the most powerful deck in standard still with Omnath gone. Adventures is just generally 
a very, very powerful core with that is hard to attack. And this one hurts a little to me because I really, really enjoyed playing the Adventures deck. It was really Mm -hmm. good. It was really fun. But it was not fair, Mm -hmm. even though it pretended to be. Like, it pretended to be this deck that was just, like, kind of just two for one its way the hard way. But it was not. It was, like, six for one you <laughs> at yeah. every card. And the the enablers were so cheap and so impossible to interact with favorably. Like, yeah, you can shatter a Lucky Clover, but, like, there's a huge deck-building cost to putting any effect that kills Lucky Clover anywhere close to your deck. Because... We don't have, like, abrupt decay in standard or anything like that. You can kill an Edgewall Innkeeper, but the best you can possibly do is trade evenly with it on mana and cards if you get pretty lucky. And with a specifically Blood Chief's Thirst. Right, which is terrible against the rest of the deck. So, you know, there's giant, giant deck-building costs to dealing with these incredibly cheap card advantage engines that... You know, that was a struggle for... You couldn't really grind against it in any meaningful way. Like, the the deck, when it first popped back onto the scene, is like, oh, this is part of the format. It was because blue-white control was a big part of standard and had, like, a 10% matchup against adventures or something like that. You just couldn't possibly beat it. Yeah, you could just couldn't deal with their engines. There were, yeah. like, a mana and two mana, and your engines were, like, five mana, yeah. <laughs> six mana. <laughs> Yeah, and even if you get a Dream Trawler out, like, who cares? <laughs> yeah, it's just, uh, alright. Well, that, that one, that card specifically was actually kind of a problem, but the the other, you know, 57 cards in the deck didn't matter at all, so. Yeah, but you could never get it out, like, in time, because if you ever, like, went Dream Trawler, then they'd be like, okay, now I can easily, like, cast this Granted and do the thing that the Granted lets me do, you know? You yeah. didn't have a safe window. You had to, like maneuver to getting it into play for free off of like maybe elspeth conquers death and and but you know elspeth conquers death also cost five and didn't kill anything that mattered so it it was very difficult yeah basically the moral of the story for lucky clover getting banned is that the adventure deck is incredibly strong without any cards except for the ones in throne of train <laughs> and nothing has changed that yep yeah, we are slowly moving through that entire set and banning every pocket of good cards from it. We lost Oko once upon a time. Now we've lost the Adventure guys, or we've lost the Adventure enabler of Lucky Clover. I, you know. Fires of Invention. We lost Fires of Invention, yeah. And these are all like totally different game plans too. Just like pushed to the absolute max. Fires, I don't even know how to like classify the decks that came out of that, so, but... So I heard you liked free mana. Yeah, I don't, actually. I prefer to have less of it. And uh, after playing a bunch of standard, we do not have any free mana in standard. It's all gone. You're not counting Lotus Cobra? Lotus Cobra doesn't count. It gets stopped 95% of the times that you cast it. I am not playing Lotus Cobra. I'm not willing to put that card in my deck. Okay. Because they did ban a third card in this banning. Yeah, and this one was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, Escape to the Wilds has only ever been good with Lucky Clover in the deck that it's been in. But I guess better safe than sorry. I hate this band so much. I I don't think it's great. (laughs) Like, unbelievably. Not to say the least is... I I made a tweet about this, too. But 
two weeks ago, I think it's just been two weeks when we banned Uro, mm-hmm. they said that they only wanted to ban Uro because they're just doing a light touch because that's how they prefer to modify formats. They just want to do the least amount of action possible and see if the format adjusts, right? That was their justification for not banning Omnath, the very obviously problem card. Mm-hmm. But then we go to this announcement two weeks later. It's not like a year later. It's two weeks later. And they just say... We don't want ramp strategies to be good, so we're going to take the extra step and ban Escape to the Wilds just in case. And I'm just like, what? (laughs) Where is your... uh, What's it called when you think one thing and do the thing that you don't like? That negative feeling in your brain, like hypocrisy? Uh, Cognitive dissonance. Yes, cognitive dissonance. Where where is that, Wizards? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a weird ban it is difficult to make like escape to the wilds only kind of works if you are escaping into and being enabled by like pretty broken stuff like escape to the wilds was good in adventures because you had clover into fertile footsteps to make a lot of mana and then you could flip a bunch of real spells off of escape to the wilds cast them for the cheap adventure side and then have the creatures still there waiting for you later so you could like take advantage of that window it's like actually pretty hard to use escape to the wilds if you don't have some specific stuff going along with that the way i view escape to the wilds is that it is a five mana sorcery that draws cards mm-hmm. pretty much all it does like it does yeah. give you a free land drop that's not like irrelevant but right at the end of the day, it is a card draw card. That's essentially all it does. Right. Like, it is not, <laughs> like, massively better. And in many situations, it is worse than Tidings. And Tidings is, like, super fine all the time. Yeah, and if you're banning a card draw spell from a format, the problem is not the card draw spell. It just mm-hmm. isn't. It never is. The only card draw spell I can, like, think that they banned from a format was Memory Jar. Which is a very generous comparison. Right, right. Well, you had all your mana the turn that you drew seven with Memory Jar, so... Yeah, I I mean, Escape to the Wilds is a little different. That land drop is really important to it in making it good, because it is, like, sort of in that same category of, like, Explore and Uro in just, like, putting lands into play, digging you deeper. It's doing all of the stuff at the same time. But when it's a five mana spell that's doing that, it's not that problematic unless the stuff you are doing and the stuff that is getting you there are both like quite good. And I think we just don't have that anymore without Uro and Omnath in the format. Like an Escape to the Wilds Ugin deck is not something that I'm particularly scared of. Like just expensive spells off of your Escape to the Wilds, like what happens if you hit two expensive spells on your escape to the wilds and or you like don't quite get there on lands and you like lose out on some of those cards when you have this quote ramp deck that's all spells that you can like cast together because they're not expensive but they like do a lot of stuff like the adventures omnath deck like you just cast all of the spells you reveal off of your escape to the wilds if you have like sevens and eights in your deck then it, some of your escapes can get pretty questionable the way you make Escape to the Wilds good is ramp, right? Essentially, Lotus Cobra, Cultivate, Beanstalk Giant, whatever. You ramp, mm-hmm. that's how you get enough mana to cast the card and then the spells. Best ramp we've got now is Lotus Cobra, Cultivate. If the, my opponent goes Lotus Cobra and then plays an early Escape to the Wilds, 
They, it's your it's your fault if you let yeah. that happen right now. Like well, you are well, responsible for that happening. To you. I mean, pretend you didn't draw the stop, right? And it sure. just happens. They've invested seven mana and not impacted the board yet. Like you could take advantage of that, right? Right. The big problem is when they have like free four fours that draw a card as part of that chain of things that is happening. Yeah. So I I do think it is kind of unlikely that escape would be. A problem going forward but i do also appreciate the recognition that's implied here that's just like we're we've had enough of ramp being good and standard let's not allow it to be good like i i don't hate that because it would be nice to give some other archetypes a chance to shine a little bit i agree i just don't i think that was like a bone that was thrown rather than yeah truly like learning a lesson because in the course that they just printed cultivate nugan and i hate nugan like i just don't think it's a card that's engaging right right i mean who would have thought that we'd be getting back to a place with ramp when it's like man i hope my opponent's just ramping to ugin like that would be so nice (laughs) man just just an eight mana board wipe that leaves a planeswalker behind. Just that's... an Ugin. <laughs> you can kill my stuff, I'll Blood Chiefs Thirst it with Kicker. Like, you'll have got, gotten up a little bit, but I can still win this game. Like, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a huge loss because I think that Escape would have been barely playable right now, which obviously means that, like, banning it is kind of silly, but generally I don't think that the difference between this standard format and the standard format where escape is legal is basically anything at all. So I I, I don't really mind it. I, I mean, I hate it, but I did really like Escape to the Wilds as a card. Yeah. I mean, it's a cool card. I did not foresee it getting banned. I mean, even this weekend, I did not foresee it getting banned. So We'll just, we'll just put it in the Reflector Mage camp of bans. Yeah, it's, it's pretty whatever. But we do have a whole new standard to talk about now. I guess yeah, that, that is pretty engaging. We we did not talk about the fact that uh once again we just got an Ian Duke like, well, looks like this deck was a little too strong, so we're going to get rid of these cards article instead of uh here's what's going on and here's what we're going to do to fix it article. In 2017, like when they were doing the Kaladesh bans, mm-hmm. maybe 2018, I don't remember the timeline very well. But Kaladesh bans were happening and they banned some stuff and we didn't really get an explanation. And they were like, why were these cards banned? And that's when they started doing the like statistical analysis. Mm-hmm. And so when they banned Aetherworks Marvel, they like had a lot of data they shared. And everyone was like, wow, thanks. I really understand it. But also in that article, they explained that the data didn't show that Aetherworks Marvel needed to be banned because it like wasn't doing that great. But people hated playing against it, so they banned it anyway. Yeah. So, like, even in the article where they, like, first did the huge data thing, they acknowledged that it just doesn't matter. It's not the end-all be-all. Right. And then they apparently just forgot that, and they've only given us... uh, One of the tweets I saw was, all these banlist articles just read, like, grocery lists now. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Well, we don't need this, we don't need this, and we don't need this. Let's get rid of them. We've gotten (laughs) a lot of bans lately. Yeah, I'm getting tired of it. Yeah, same. Rather than talking more about the bands, we can talk about this new standard format. Which is actually like kind of the purpose of the bands, which needed to happen, to be fair. For sure. For sure. They I mean they did need to happen. I want them to stop printing the cards that have to get banned. 
So we are no longer defined by ramp. We are pretty much from... I've been playing a lot, and the decks are generally from the range of aggro to mid-range. And that's where the vast majority of everything I've been playing with or against falls into. There's a lot of different ways of doing each of those things. There's a lot of different tools and engines, and I've even been playing decks with white mana that were not, you know, casting Omnath in them. So there's, like, lots of different stuff going on. Generally pretty fair, and it's about, you know, getting card advantage and making advantageous trades or getting ahead on tempo. Uh, And, I mean, fingers crossed that this lasts, but it does feel like a return to just, like, actually playing Magic the Gathering. Ooh, like the rare magic we were playing in 2018 and before? It, yeah, there's something about it. There's also uh, basically no playable planeswalkers. So we're just like playing creatures with neat abilities and trying to get advantages with those and cast and removal spells, which are really good and really important right now. And I don't know, there's, there's a chance that this is good. <laughs> I have not had any time to play Standard. My week has been busy. It's been three days since the banning. But I've been looking at Twitter a bunch. I have a specific list on my Twitter. It's just a bunch of people that post deck lists, and I scroll through that every day. Yes. Essentially. (laughs) Because I like to know what people are playing. If I see a deck, I'll like impulse buy it really easily. (laughs) Yeah. So... We can probably... I don't know if we want to run through archetypes first, or if we want to run through... Because the archetypes are not going to be the same, you know, once things settle down. But we can definitely talk about what people are playing now. I like defining the format by pillar cards yeah, more than anything else. I agree. I, I think that's a good place to start. I think that there's a couple of specific things that are really defining here. Number one is the power of the early removal spells and their importance in the format. And the big ones, and particularly because Rakdos Midrange is seeing so much heavy play, but Rakdos Midrange is seeing so much heavy play mostly based on, I mean, based on a number of things, but these two cards are at the core of it, are Bonecrusher Giant and Blood Chief's Thirst. Yeah. Bonecrusher Giant's certainly a more powerful card Possibly the best card in standard right now. That I think that that is a very likely thing to be true, as much as that statement can be a true statement. But Blood Chief's Thirst also just super, super efficient. There's a lot of two drops. Being able to just kill them for a mana and move on with your life is really good. And then that flexibility of if they played a bigger thing and I have to spend a turn killing it, I can. The, the card is really strong right now. And a huge part of playing a mid-range deck is incorporating these cards into it and a huge part of playing a creaturey deck is understanding that these are the spells you got to play against and try to attack your opponent in ways that you don't just like if they go uh blood chiefs thirst into stomp you're not just like well there was no way i could possibly have beaten that yeah and i've seen the uh golgari adventures pop up here yeah because that's the only deck left that can play eligible innkeeper and you get to play Blood Chief's Thirst, so you're like a more mid-rangey adventure deck instead of the turbo value deck we're used to seeing. Mm-hmm. So there are ways to get around, like, just Rakdos mid-range having just the premier removal of the format. Yeah. I think a build of that Golgari Adventures deck is likely to be very good if this format 
stays defined by the parameters it's been defined by so far. Uh, being able to play Skyclave Shade is... I really like that card right now. I've been playing a lot of it, and I think it's excellent. The removal that people are playing does not exile. They might get a small mana advantage on you, but my favorite sequence right now, when I've been playing a Skyclave Shade heavy deck, when I'm on the draw and my opponent's turn two is Kroxa, and I discard a card, and it's Skyclave Shade, <laughs> and then my turn two is play a land and cast my Skyclave Shade from the graveyard. <laughs> I get, like, chills thinking about it. It's well, so nice. Well, the reason I like Skyclave Shade, and probably one of the reasons you do, is because it's one of the last remaining vestiges of repeatable card advantage in the format. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, yeah. it's not a real engine the way Lucky Clover is, but it is a card that rewards you time after time, turn after turn. Right. Like you can be aggressive with it, you can discard it to Kroxa, like it's you can do stuff with it. Yeah. You can't block with it though. No, that so you can't it block has, with it. And and the things you're getting out of it, the card advantage you're getting out of it is a very specific kind of limited thing. It's not something like Edgewall Innkeeper or Lucky Clover, where the advantage you're getting out of it is turning your resources into way more resources of the type of your choice. And then going from there, it's I have this 3-1 that keeps coming back and sometimes is a 5-3. How can I leverage that? And I like that gameplay quite a bit. Yeah, it's it's the value cards I like to see in Standard. The ones you actually yeah. have to invest a little bit into. Yeah, and it's punishable. If, if they, when they, Whenever they have a spike field hazard, it's it feels pretty bad. You're sad. I'm like, I was kind of, my game plan was kind of built around this little, this little three one for two. And now I can't do anything. Cause it's pretty unassuming. It doesn't like really work directly with the rest of your game plan, no matter what kind of deck you are. Mm-hmm. It's just there as a, like a roadblock to your opponent. Not that they have to get over it, but they do have to deal with it. And it's not convenient to use most removal spells on that card. Yeah. So it's getting three powers, not nothing. It keeps getting advantages over and over. Right. It would be better if people were playing, like, any Planeswalkers in this format. <laughs> so sure, that attacking sure. was, like, more relevant than just hitting their life total. But I, I, I'd i like the spot where it's at right now. Like, it's a... Some decks can kind of ignore it. Other decks, like, it's a, it's kind of a tremendous problem. And if you work hard enough, for example, by using Doom Foretold in your Skyclave Shade deck, then you can really do some stuff with it. So I have a particular build that I'll talk about later when we're talking about archetypes and how attacking the format has been working so far so other than the earlier removal spells mm-hmm. what other cards do you think are like the the standouts in the standard format? what are people like putting in their decks so there's an, a reasonable number of kind of not totally enginey stuff nothing on the level of lucky clover but things that decks are being built around so certainly uh edgewall innkeeper remains one of those the Edgewall Innkeeper decks definitely feel a lot more pathetic than <laughs> they used to. But Edgewall Innkeeper is still great because it's so cheap. It's a one mana 1-1 one, one that then your opponent has to worry about and may net you multiple cards. So Innkeeper is still very strong. Kroxa is a very, very defining card in this format right now. Uh, extremely powerful and... I think, way healthier as a big escape dude than Uro ever was for a format. It 
makes games actually end. It reduces resources, forces people to make decisions with what they've got left, and also the front side is so atrocious that you're really trying to figure out a way to not have to cast it, and it's a it's an okay combination. It's still a very powerful card, one of the best cards in Standard, but way less egregious on a lot of axes. Yeah, Crooks is a good card to be like a premier threat in the format because it mm-hmm. hits the table and the game is narrowed in focus, right? You have to deal with Kroxa, and once you deal with Kroxa, you've like accomplished something. You because... have. I've won many games after even just killing their Kroxa, not even exiling it. Yeah, because like, it's a... hard. It's hard yeah. to fill your graveyard in these decks because unlike Uro, Kroxa does not draw cards, so you're not fueling your graveyard nearly as easily. That's exactly. why all these Rockdust midrange decks play Meyer Triton, Timur Calls the Dead. Yeah, you have to put eight horrible cards in your deck. To make Kroxa work, right? Like, it's a huge difference from Uro, which just worked. Yeah. And you don't get but, ahead with Kroxa the way you do with mm-hmm. Uro when the first turn you play it. Right, right. You're behind. Like, you really spent mana for nothing when you play Kroxa. And that's why you... When Kroxa enters the battlefield, it's a huge threat. You're going to die to it very quickly. It does a lot of damage, unlike Uro. Mm-hmm. But... If you can deal with it, there's no guarantee that they're going to be able to escape it relatively soon. And you can probably... And they don't have extra resources because Kroxa doesn't give you extra resources. It just is mm-hmm. one. Yeah. So you can easily combat... Not easily, but you can combat Kroxa just entering the battlefield, killing it, and then proceeding on your game, with your game plan. For sure. I have like gone back and forth on the number of like Blood Chief's Thirsts that I keep in against Red Black. And it depends a lot on how your deck is approaching the matchup and stuff. But certainly if they have Magmatic Channelers, then it's a pretty good card. Even if they don't, like, there are ways that games play out that your plan may include, like, yes, they're going to escape a Kroxa on me. I just need to get rid of that big body and keep it from attacking me. And yeah, okay, like, I'll get two for one here, but I got two for one. Like, that's a thing that happens in Standard all the time. The plan of killing Uro didn't work because they just escape it again the next turn. It's actually like pretty hard to do that with Kroxa. I I agree with you completely. I just wanted to ask you about something you said. Yeah. Uh, the you said magmatic channeler. You keep in Blood, Blood Chief's thirst. If you see red blacks playing those, every red black deck I've seen is playing that card. Have you seen people skimp on it? I think a lot of people are cutting it. Yeah. On ladder, I have felt that some of my red-black opponents have not been playing it. I don't know for sure, but a lower number of games start out with turn two Magmatic Channeler than you would think if everybody were playing four. And I think that is a concession to uh, Blood Chief's Thirst. Like, the way to get ahead in standard, whenever it's normal and not like an Omnath standard or whatever, whenever it's a normal standard where like some sort of green mid-range deck is really good or something like that, is make your opponent's interaction against you bad. And when you play a Magmatic Channeler and they get to like Blood Chief's Thirst it and cast a spell, then you turned on a card in their hand that was like kind of bad and maybe they got a tempo advantage against you. And making that not happen is potentially a way of getting ahead in these matchups. Now, Channeler is a pretty good card. And in the matchup, if it survives, it is obviously game-breaking because you get the cards that you want, you get rid of the cards that you don't want. But especially in like game ones in these red-black mirrors, there's just so much removal in both players' hands 
that activating magmatic channeler is just not really something that happens very often anyways. So I think that there's a defensible build of red black that just issues magmatic channeler entirely. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I wonder if, cause I'm pretty pro magmatic channeler. Mm-hmm. I think it's just really powerful if you can tax their removal enough. So I wonder if there's a build of red black that can have a turn sequence where you don't play anything on turn two. Mm-hmm. And in order to facilitate, like if you have a magmatic channeler in hand, you're, you don't play it because you can play a spell on their turn. And I guess you're always going to have Stomp, but you're not always going to draw it. Mm-hmm. So then you'd want more two mana cards, maybe like Eliminate or Thundering Abuse, not an instant, but Eliminate is. So maybe something along that axis, just like filling your deck with more kind of reactive cards. So if you don't have Mire Triton and you have Magmatic Channeler instead on turn two, you can skip your turn two and not be like just dead in the water. Yeah, I, I mean, it's possible. The card that you might want there is actually Skyclave Shade for sure. the mirrors. Sure, Uh I... One of the, I mean, you know, now we're moving on into sort of specific archetype <laughs> stuff. One of the things that I really do want to talk about is playing against Rakdos midrange and including playing the mirrors, because I've played a lot of these mirrors and I have felt that my opponents were making a lot of non-optimal decisions, both in play and in sideboarding choices. The games play out in ways that you wouldn't expect a lot of the time. Yes, it's really important to enable your Croxes. And card advantage can be really important because it's a mid-range mirror. Once a Croxes starts happening, though, like, everybody's card advantage just goes out the window. Like, basically, it is really hard to keep your opponent from Croxing and also Croxa yourself. It, it's just, like, too many divergent pathways to take. So, kind of either... Both players are focusing on exiling each other's graveyards, and that sort of happens. Or, more likely, each player ends up with Kroxa in play. Like, it's really common that one player will escape Kroxa, and the other player can escape Kroxa on their turn immediately after. At that point, it doesn't matter what, like, little... It, this isn't a mid-range mirror where little card advantage trades, where you go up half a card or whatever on each thing matter because everybody just like loses all their resources at some point in the game when the crooks start happening you're, you're just both done playing spells from your hand and you're in top deck mode at that point so then what matters is the resources that are not in your hand that you've managed to accumulate before that started happening so to some extent that's lands in play but that's not super important because you're top decking what is really important is number of cards in graveyard and your life total. You can only take so many Kroxa attacks if you're at 11 life. You can only escape Kroxa so many times if you don't have very many cards in your graveyard. So by far the most important card to draw in the matchup is Timuret Calls the Dead. It both buffers your life total, creates chump blockers for their Kroxa, and obviously puts cards into your graveyard. Meyer Triton is okay, but it's just like effect on the game is so low for the cost of one card. Like, yes, it is. You obviously want to be casting them and it's like fine, but it's just a lot of these matchups do come down to like who can play the most Timurite Calls the Deads and maximize their Kroxas. And so the angles that you want to take are attacking their graveyard with your with especially efficient ways to attack their graveyard i don't think cling to dust is 
particularly effective in the mirror because it costs you a whole card to get rid of a Kroxa, and then if they get another one, spending four mana to get that out of the graveyard is not really doable. And your graveyard, too. Right, and your graveyard, which is, you know, your own one of your two resources that actually matter at some point in the game. So, you know, spending five cards to get rid of their Kroxa is not doable. That could be your own Kroxa. So I think that Lantern is really the way to go to attack graveyards in the mirror. And it is really hard to beat somebody who, for very cheap, has exiled your graveyard. Uh, another card that I've been really impressed with, and this is another reason why uh, Magnetic Channeler is losing some of its cachet. And I've been playing a lot of this in my brew is Elspeth's Nightmare. But when you're on the play and they play a Magmatic Channeler and you play an Elspeth's Nightmare, game's over. You're done. Like, pack it up. So I know what Elspeth's Nightmare does. Yeah. Can you can you refresh our listeners? This is a saga from Theros, two and a black. Chapter one is destroy target creature with power two or less. It's chapter two is you duress them. And it's chapter three is you exile their graveyard. And in this matchup, duressing them is usually taking a land out of their hand, which is often completely ridiculous. Yeah, it's, so, a, it's a straight up coercion. You can take whatever yeah. you want. Yeah, you really can. That card is kind of slow on the draw. Like, and even on the play sometimes, if their 2-3-4 is Mire Triton, Timurit Calls the Dead, bring back a Kroxa that they dumped into their graveyard, Elspeth Conquer's Death never stops that and might even put a card into their graveyard that they needed with the duress. So it doesn't work all on its own, but in a longer game where you keep exiling their graveyard multiple times, you play a lantern, you uh, exile their stuff when it makes sense, and then Elspeth Conquers Death comes down, or Elspeth's Nightmare comes down, and at some point exiles like three or four cards or something like that, then they're not able to get the traction to get into the game. Meanwhile, like you get a Kroxa escape that you have denied them, and even if they kill it, then you start getting ahead. And, and they're, if they're not attacking your graveyard with the same vigor that you are attacking theirs, that's a lot of what the matchup is about. So life total, cards, and graveyard. Those end up being the two resources that the game is played on. And I've had opponents that were just way up on me on like cards and stuff. And it just like didn't matter because I got an early like two hits in with a bone crusher giant Kroxa started coming down we both were taking like three damage from Kroxa to the face but I could take several more of those than my opponent could and then they died to my Kroxa triggers yeah so you've is everyone playing Rakdos midrange <laughs> you've got a lot of practice if you're playing Rakdos midrange you want to practice the mirror for sure I, I think understanding how the games play out and like knowing what's important is really really huge to being successful in this format for sure you i'm cheating because i I've read your notes yeah but you you mentioned the ox of agonis in this document mm-hmm. what have you played with that what's your experience with, with that card so eight is a lot for the escape cost right because that's what has me concerned <laughs> it, and it is a concern the way that you use it though is often not escaping it hard casting it is incredible you trade resources off, and then you cast it, and then that's giving you the resources. It's playing this Uro thing, where it's drawing cards that then get you closer to escaping a Kroxa or escaping it again. And if you are playing a resource denial game of any sort, I think it's quite good, yeah. Have you ever seen Ox Escaped? Because it seems very, very, 
very i don't want to escape cling to dust if i'm trying to crook some people like eight is twice as many as four yeah i mean it's only it only is realistic to escape it if you started by hard casting one really but hard casting one like basically the more cards you draw the the higher number of uh timerate calls the dead you end up having access to and that just like keeps fueling itself in a pretty real way so in a number of ways ox is kind of almost better than croxa in the mirror it also dies to less removal when you've escaped it it doesn't die to stomp like it doesn't die to unkick blood chief's thirst if you've escaped it it doesn't die to heartless act so it like is this weird thing where it's like kind of a better body than croxa in some situations and it, it's just like a lot of games it's kind of broken open uh both on my opponent's side and my side of the board so along those veins like one of the first builds of rock Blade range i ever saw was gavin bennett playing it and he had chandra heart of fire which is the new chandra i want to try that yeah because that seems like it does a lot of the same thing ox Vagonis does especially if you're just hard casting ox most of the time because chandra mm-hmm. gets the ox effect every single turn yeah sure I could I could definitely see that. I think it might be. I I, I want to try it to to understand it a little bit. My main concern is that Chandra does so little the turn you cast her, and it's a five mana shock. It's a five mana shock, and then if they do have the Blood Chief's thirst, like you, the it's not great for you. It's not atrocious for you, but if you were relying on that, then you didn't really get anywhere. Yeah. But yeah, I do want to try it because I could see that being a way to like churn through and just like every turn you're looking at four cards for Timurit Calls the Dead. And I could definitely see that being good. But as a sideboard card, not as a main deck card, it's like oh, yeah, there's yeah, too yeah. many too many people are attacking you with green creatures to be able to play something like that. Oh, I've seen a lot of the green decks. They're, they look uh, kind of the same. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, there's mono green and there's gruel. I generally think continue to think Gruul is significantly better. I know Cedric Phillips would disagree with me, but I think he's the only person who can really win with that deck. So, well, I Crookies did post a list of Mono Green that was like kind of weird. It was a Trail of Crumbs deck with Gilded Goose and I think and it might Troll be Troll King. Yeah, Troll King. Troll King. Yeah. Which I mean, that's that's very different from the mono green aggro deck. I mean, yeah, but like at, at heart, you're really trying to just get uh, the great hinge out and then do whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, mono green is mono green. I do like Embercleave a lot more than the great hinge. Yeah, I think Embercleave is still excellent, and you know the Rakdos deck has a lot of removal, but it only takes one guy surviving and five lands for Embercleave to be really real yeah so and gem are still excellent even if there's not lucky clover to target yeah i mean it still has things to target it still hits like timurit calls the dead and stuff and you will get some amount of value there and trample is just really good on you know a kazandu mammoth or whatever i've also seen games played where rogues just attack freely onto gem razor forgetting it has reach oh for sure <laughs> <sighs> we should talk about rogues I, uh, should we? Don't, <laughs> yes, because we need to tell the people, don't play rogues. <laughs> uh, are you saying that having most of your cards mill your opponent 
while a large majority of your opponents are playing Kroxa might not be the way to go? My mulliganing philosophy lately, every time I see Luris as my opponent's companion, the only thing that I do is just make sure that my opening hand has like several lands in it. And it doesn't have to have anything else. Because I'll be fine. Their card, they have, two, they have two options. They can either try not to mill you, and that means both several of their cards are uncastable and the, their other ones don't work. Or they can mill you, and then they just give you free copies of all your best cards and you kill them with them. I, like, so I've been playing a version of Rakdos that basically, it's basically Rakdos, but it splashes for Doom Foretold and plays a bunch of Elspeth's Nightmares and plays Skyclave Shade as its two drop. So really resilient, like early removal spells don't really do anything against the deck. And it's also kind of optimized to try to get as big a leg up in the mirror as possible and also to never, ever lose to rogues ever. Because uh, there's a lot of rogues on ladder and I didn't want to lose to it. Generally, just having Kroxa is enough to win most of your matches, but I wanted to like spike that up as high as I possibly <laughs> could. So now my game plan is just let my opponent put Skyclave Shades and Kroxas into my graveyard and then use Kroxas to shrink my graveyard back down so that their cards are turned off again. And God, I've I've lost one match to Rogues. I've played against it 15 plus times. I lost one match and that was due to egregious play errors on my part because I was like not paying close enough attention and staying up too late. So I I think the knock, the main knock against Rogues to me is that you don't have any powerful proactive cards. Mm -hmm. Like, you, you have good reactive cards, but those aren't good enough to win the game. you you got to have something that crosses you over the finish line. And Rogues doesn't really have that without a bunch of synergy stuff going its way. And that doesn't... It's just hard to happen. Well, honestly, I think the deck is quite good. I think just, you know, closer to something like the Seth Manfield version of the deck, where... You're not playing a bunch of trash, like you're playing Soaring Thought Thief is just a decent card, and the uh the one drop is fine, three two death touch pretty easily, and uh, like like the it's not playing a bunch of bad cards and it's mostly playing like a mid-range two controlling blue black deck. The problem is that the escape cards are all so good against you and you're just turning them on, like if that weren't the case, then the deck would be fine, but it 100% is the case, and you're not playing this deck in a vacuum. You're playing against Kroxa all the time, and you almost can't beat it. I wonder if you can do something with uh, Archfiend's Vessel and Luris, maybe? Which is the uh, uncommon that makes a demon when you bring it back? Yeah. I don't know. I'm so, just trying to think yeah. of something. I guess that's a cleric, right? It's not a rogue. Right. Right, it's a cleric, and one of the huge problems is that the deck just kind of, like, has Luris because, yeah, like, sure. it's free, and sometimes it's fine. You are rarely in situations where you can get it and then cast it. Like, that's really awkward, and you're, like, either not removing their thing that they put into play or not keeping up Drown in the Lock when you really should. And a lot of the games that I play against it, I'm trying to get them to tap mana to get their Luris into their hand, and then I can just go ham on my turn. Because I do think flying creatures are good right now. Like everyone's pretty much groundbound. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Like, Terror of the Peaks, I've seen win a fair number of games. 
I've just taken like 18 damage off of a Yorion and just been like, I really need to find an answer to this thing. I can't do anything. Well, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's just like sized really well too to avoid all the common and removal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree that flyers are good. I think that I would advise moving away slightly from the Seth Manfield version of the deck. When I see Lurus, I know that my opponent can't have Brazen Borrower and can't have Zarathon, which may not be a great card, but honestly, knowing that my opponent doesn't have Brazen Borrower gives me so much freedom to make plays that I wouldn't make if I th- would thought that they had the ability to cast Petty Theft and Brazen Borrower. So I, I just, generally though, I don't think that you can play Rogues right now. It's so hard to beat Kroxa and like so many times my opponent's plays have been like a one drop that mills me. And then they're like, Oh, okay. I guess now I have to cling to dust that crook so that I put into your graveyard. <laughs> just kidding. And it's just like, or I'm at twenty, and they just sort of like gently attack me with a Merfolk Wind Robber while I have a crook in my graveyard, and it's like I gotta kill you. I have to put cards into your graveyard so my cards work, but like, there's just no way out. Like, it's just not gonna happen. Yeah, I don't it's... suggest building rogues or playing rogues at least building it like the current configurations i don't know if there's a way to dodge all the escape stuff without sideboarding a lot against it and maybe that's untenable yeah and just like the cling to dust plan is so bad you're spending a whole card to get a card out of their graveyard that you put there it's also good lantern is definitely going to be better than cling most of the time especially if you're playing laris yeah, it, Kling is the one that I see more often. Like, they do have Lanterns, too, but I see more Klings, it feels like, and it's not effective. But, yeah, I agree that Lantern would be way better, and certainly is just a way better card against Rakdos, so... Even even not counting the Luris loops, which are an important part of that card. Well, yeah, well, generally, like, the way the Kling to Dust works is that it's harder to fuel your own graveyard, mm-hmm. uh, especially in a deck like Rogues, where... You grab a Kroxa and it's great. You, you did your thing. You don't get a card off it, though, which kind of sucks. You gain three life, which doesn't matter. <laughs> and then if your opponent ever finds a second Kroxa, you just might not have enough cards in your graveyard to escape to grab the Kroxa before they can escape their own Kroxa. Right. Or spending a whole turn doing that is just untenable. And you get into this like tempo black hole where you never recover from it. Because then you don't have an opportunity to cast an into the story. Because that would be a whole turn of doing nothing. You can't have two of those in a game. Yeah. Um. Also, the versions with Ruin Crab are like really so far from being anything that I would consider doing right now. Please don't play Ruin Crab in your Rogue's deck. It's not even a Rogue. Like, come on, people. Yeah. <laughs> it's like in the. It's a Vantress Gargoyle like honorary Rogue status. Uh, Evangelist Gargoyle is a 5-4, so (laughs) it's huge. Yeah, Evangelist Gargoyle dying to... Rebuke? Dying to Bloodsheath's Thirst and just, like, being sorcery speed. It's just, like, a pretty awkward card that I'm not sure is even well-positioned right now, even disregarding the graveyard stuff, so... Yeah, I... I have a soft spot in my heart for Ventress Gargoyle. Oh, me too. But it it is like a little too awkward. Yeah. So that this is an important thing though. There still is a lot of rogues on ladder for some reason. 
So if you are playing anything, be prepared with some amount of escape stuff. You just want to punish them for milling you, for having the audacity to put cards into their opponent's graveyard as though, like, that's a thing that won't bite them. Just make it bite them, and that's usually enough to beat them. I know Chainweb, Chainweb Arachnir is the yeah. go-to for the green decks. I, I've seen that, and it's so funny. Because <laughs> it's, it's, really so, it's so good against rogues. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Although it does die to Blood Chief's Thirst, and also the tech against that was uh, Lull Mage's Domination. Yeah. This is an uncommon from Zendikar Rising that you may recognize if you play the limited format. X, blue, blue, blue. Steal a creature with converted mana cost X or less. It costs three less to cast if they have eight cards in their graveyard. So stealing an escape guy is very easy because their escape costs are way cheaper or their mana costs are way cheaper than their escape costs. It doesn't really work. I've had people sideboard it against me as a Kroxa deck. It doesn't really work to steal the Kroxa. Like, I usually just steal the Kroxa, or kill the Kroxa and escape it again after they steal it. Like, I'm not... I have enough resources to do that, because I've only... I haven't spent any resources. I've just played Kroxas that you've put into my graveyard. Yeah, and... There's not that many creatures in the rogues deck that you two need to kill on the spot, so you always have some excess rogue. I've let soaring. I've just left soaring thought thieves in play for additional turns because you wanted more cards. Attack me! Like, come on, I'll take one. Keep going, keep going. You haven't hit Kroxa yet. Hit me! Don't sideboard in your Arachnirs against Rakdos. I have had people do it. That's not the way you grind against Rakdos. It was the one of the worst things I've ever seen. I you want to be killing them. Yeah. You're not trying to play that game. It's no. not going to be effective. I know you've been playing a lot of Doom Foretold. I have. How, it's hard how for much me to do you want it. to talk about it? I mean, I'll talk about my build a little bit. I don't think that this is the optimal way to attack the format. But it is, I, it is fun. It's really, really fun. You can't lose to rogues. It's actually impossible if you play correctly. I think that it's as close to a 100% matchup as I've ever played in Standard. Ooh, in Standard, okay. Yeah, I mean, there's certain, like, legacy things that are completely unwinnable or whatever. Well, the worst uh, matchup I've ever played is is Tron against Lantern. Yeah, exactly. I lost that one once. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Was... <laughs> okay, yeah, moving on, so we don't get Well, Chris no, Tron. now we gotta, tell that, we gotta tell that story, though. So right. this, was, this was... Game one, I won because it was Tron versus Lantern. Game two, I lost. My opponent was on the play. They played a turn three Tezzeret on the play and just made five fives until I died and I didn't quite get off the ground. That's fine. You can't do that on the draw. My opponent plays a turn two Tezzeret on the draw game three off of two Mox Opals and it's just fast enough to kill me before I can start landing Thrag Tusks and blocking the five fives because I sided in Thrag Tusks to beat the Tezzerets. And I drew them, but I just didn't quite get there. Yeah, because it's it's really hard to lose that matchup with Tron. It is so hard, but I managed. Perfect. Well done. <laughs> Anyways, this is a matchup that is probably like more lopsided than than Tron Lantern. You know, so I, I'm happy with how I've built the deck for that. They just continually put your best cards into your graveyards, Skyclave Shades and Kroxes. I my two drops are Skyclave Shades and 
what is it from Zendikar Rising? That artifact that, you know, I always refused to take in draft, but is quite good in this deck. Two mana artifact, enters the battlefield, draw a card, it comes into play tapped, you can pay two, supplies. tap and sacrifice, spare, spare supplies. supplies. Yeah, so that has been the best one. I started out with uh, Acquisitions Expert, but Burglar Rat's just not good enough. Yeah, It's just not a good card. Uh, drawing a card and helping make land drops was better. And then I just have a lot of the three mana sagas because those curve perfectly into Doom Foretold. So Timurit Calls the Dead and Elspeth's Nightmare, you get chapters one and two. If you go Saga into Doom Foretold, you get chapters one and two and then you get to sacrifice it before the third thing. In the mirror, you want to get off your Elspeth's Nightmare third chapter, though, without sacrificing it generally. You usually hold your Doom Foretolds to use them as Kroxa kills or whatever. The deck is, you know, you can't lose to rogues. I think you have a an okay advantage in the mirror, but you are giving up certain parts of the mirror. You don't have Meyer Tritons, so they're actually kind of better at filling their graveyard than you are, depending on how your draws play out. And basically, if they have Meyer Triton into Timur, it calls the dead. Like, you don't really have a draw that is of equivalent just like nonsense to that and they can get you with that if you don't didn't like draw a lantern or something so you give up percentages in certain ways you regain it in other ways with your ability to grind and your higher density of Elspeth's nightmares uh the creature matchups game ones are like kind of iffy but then post-board, you just go ham on removal and bring in extinction events. So I've been pretty comfortable in those matchups. I like the deck a lot, but I'm not going to tell you that like it's what you should be playing to get number one Mythic or anything like that. But I'm about to hit Mythic with it. So I mean, I'm pretty sure you could play whatever you want and hit number one Mythic, like, if to you be just honest. put in the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it, put in the time and play it well. Yeah. Not even perfectly, just better than the latter opponents. And even yeah. high, high mythic, like it's not impossible. A lot of people are trying to do stuff like Mardu Doom foretold. Mardu Doom sure. foretold. Yeah, I also because you are a Skyclave Shade deck, you any of the non Rakdos grindy decks, uh, I've just demolished. Uh, it's so hard for them to beat Skyclave Shade, kind of on its own almost. People are not like haven't adjusted to that card yet. Which means, if you can play any shell that uses Skyclave Shade well, I would definitely lean towards that card. It's excellent right now. But, like, all of the blue decks, everything with Maze Mind Tome in it, like, when they go Maze Mind Tome and you and year two is Skyclave Shade, like, they're in a lot of trouble. They just, like, can't leverage their Tome for card advantage and also deal with your, like, recurring threat card advantage and they just have so many kind of meaningless cards, and eventually you find more Skyclave Shades and then Grokes of them. Uh, those matchups have been really satisfying to play because you just have this like long-term plan that you know that they're going to have to pull out something really special in order to deal with it, and they usually don't. I I have flashbacks to the uh, set review episode where I'm like coaxing you into liking Skyclave Shade. Dude, I'm... I... <laughs> Yeah, I am a believer now. <laughs> and now we've just spent 20 minutes talking about it. <laughs> I mean, it only took bands of, like, all of the good cards in the format to get here. Well, we all knew we weren't going to enjoy Standard if no, no bands happened. <laughs> That's true, but I was, like, pretty traumatized by, like, what Standard has been about for so long. 
you know, Sky Clear Shade wouldn't have been good in most of the standards we've been in for a minute. That's true. It's very true. But I, I dreamed but, of a better place, and we might be there now. If the standard continues like this, we really are. Like, like my two, the two cards that I am happiest the most to have in my deck right now are Bonecrusher Giant and Skyclave Shade. I think those are two of the best cards in standard by quite a bit. Any other decks you've seen want to talk about? What about Mono Red? That's uh, an Mono Red deck. is no, Mono Red's not good. I just can't buy. It's it's too vulnerable to Bonecrusher Giant. It is too vulnerable to the combination of Bonecrusher Giant and Blood Chief's Thirst. It's really difficult to get your early damage in. Like, your 2-drop being a robber of the rich is just, like, every time you cast that, you're just like, I hope they don't have Bonecrusher Giant in their hand. Because it's not a red deck in the way that burn decks in the past have been. Where It's, it's like not every a burn two deck da- at all. Right. It's not like every two damage you get in is like, yeah, I got two damage in. I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. It's like I'm playing all of these creatures to give myself a good Embercleave turn at some point in this game. And so many games just play out like spot removal spells get doled out according to the plan of the person with the spot removal spells. They can afford to take damage because the only punish is Embercleave. And then at some point, the red player is going to look at their board and be like, oh no, all my creatures have odd converted mana costs. And then you get extinction evented, and they leave something in play after extinction eventing, and you just can never win. I think the problem with Monoret that I've seen is just that you're too reliant on Emmercleave. It's like obviously mm-hmm. your best card, but it is too hard to squeak in damage with all these defensive threats, Stomp, Bonecrusher Giant, Lovestroke Beast, just green creatures in general. Yeah. Uh, it's it's just a little too difficult to get in all that chip damage you need to, so that Embercleave can deal like you know, ten damage 12, to your opponent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just you just can't quite cross the finish line often enough without getting a huge critical mass of cards, and there's not that many decks in the format that allow you to reach that point, and there are no cards in red that let you you know get card advantage. Right, right. If we had Experimental Frenzy right now, I think Experimental Frenzy would be we'd be back in business with that card. Like that card would be playable immediately. We don't. So you are on Embercleave or Bust, and the Gruel deck is such a better Embercleave deck. Yeah. And, I mean, in the heads up, like, I don't see how Monored ever beats either of these green decks that are just... Like, Monored could, like, never beat uh, Lovestruck Beast just on its own, out of a deck without other creatures in it. And these green decks are full of Lovestruck Beast and other bodies. You never squeak in damage early... You get down an Embercleave, and then, like, either they are killing you back such that it doesn't matter, or they have their own Embercleave, or, you know, the Gruel deck has Lovestruck Beast and Bonecrusher Giants in it. Like, how yeah. do you ever beat that? Yeah, that that's that's what makes the Gruel deck so good against Mono Red specifically, is you just have so many huge bodies that provide so much value. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I would not recommend Mono Red. You're, you're caught between, like... 70% of the format is either green creature decks with bodies that you can't get through or like just decks that are all removal spells. It's not a good place to be. You can probably beat rogues. Maybe. I think you right, I you're probably I haven't played that matchup at all. Yeah. I haven't. You're probably advantage against rogues, but I bet it's not incredible. 
they have blood chiefs thirsts and heartless acts like everybody else so i don't think one for one removal by themselves are the way to beat monored in my experience it just never really pans out like that you need something to stop them early yeah. on other than removal right but they one for one removal into either into the story or Luris, and then they're just up way far on cards and it's hard to like get there against them so i I, I bet Monored is advantaged there, but, like, Rogues has a plan. Okay, I, I'd pretty easily back the Monored side of that matchup. If we were, you know, betting on horses. The cards just aren't that good. And well, no. I, no, they aren't. That's a big problem with, like, Monored and, like, Mono White, too. Like, the aggressive card strategies they've printed aren't on par with the rest of the mid-range stuff that they've printed. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like, I could see Monored being advantage against rogues exactly, but there's so much stuff in the format that's just, like, you a never, problem with never, the ever, ever want to play it against Gruul or Rakdos midrange. Yep, yep. So, I would not recommend those. If you want to Ember Cleave, it's Gruul. Just do it in Gruul. And honestly, you get to draw cards in Gruul, so play it anyway. Yeah, I, I think Gruul is totally fine. The green deck that I am most interested in trying out some iterations of is green-black. It is a bummer that they don't have the pathway for that color combination yet. But, you know, creature deck with some removal and some card advantage and Skyclave Shade access if you want it. And potentially you could be either a Great Henge deck or even maybe a Black-Green Garrick deck. If I can play that card, I would be like, I'd want to try it out because people aren't super ready for Planeswalkers right now because there aren't any. Like, nobody's playing Questing Beasts. You're all, everybody's playing Gem Raisers because Gem Raisers are very good. And I don't know. I, I would be kind of into trying Garrick out and seeing if it could work. Six is a lot, but it's also like a beating. It makes a lot of wolves. Yeah, I, I like Garrick and Ashok too. Are as like the two best Planeswalkers left. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's weird yeah. that the mana matters so much more in green black than it does in red black. Mm-hmm. Because red black also does not have a pathway. The red spell lands are so much better for that type of strategy than the green spell lands are. And so you have the ability to just play a lot more, like, quote, lands. Like, the difference between Shatter Skull Smashing. And turn timber symbiosis in a mid rangey like removal slash creaturey deck is just huge. Shatter skull, Shatter skull smashing is an actual spell at several different iterations of X. Turn timber symbiosis just costs seven and like puts a blocker into play. <laughs> yeah, I. It's also not just that, but that's a really good point. But like the the adventure deck is built such that you have a lot of single cost pips that you want to all devote in one turn like there's a dragon keeper falmar knight scavenging those activations like if you want to use an adventure like love struck beast costs a green if you mm-hmm. want to play that and a falmar knight and like another green card with leaving up the scavenging ooze all of a sudden you're like looking at a lot of different specific colors true yeah definitely scavenging ooze has that is worth noting scavenging ooze is extremely good right now oh yeah of course uh you want to play it intelligently Every time I've gotten to stomp a scavenging ooze or else best nightmare scavenging ooze, I feel like I've really gotten away with something. So just make it a making it a three three makes it immune to 
Stomp makes it immune to Heartless Act and makes it immune to Elspeth's Nightmare. And that's like a lot of stuff that it's pretty important to not get hit by. So just hold off on it if you can. And please, because I see this mistake a lot, please just make it a 3-3 at Sorcerer Speed if your opponent can't respond. Yes, yes. Because then you don't have to play that dance where you just like waste a mana or get your thing killed anyway. Right. For sure. Yeah, I've definitely had games where I played against Scavenging Ooze where it probably should have beaten me if my opponent was a little more careful and deliberate in how they played it, but they weren't and I was able to deal with it. It always dies to Blood Chief's Thirst, though, and I often am saving Blood Chief's Thirst for Scavenging Oozes because I can take some damage, I can make trades that are not super favorable for me, because I know that the only thing that's really going to beat me is an unchecked scavenging ooze. Makes sense to me. I guess some more stuff on how to actually beat the Rakdos midrange decks. If you're attacking them... Well, okay, let's give this a little more context. If you're playing a decent number of turns in the game, attack their graveyard. They're going to beat you with Kroxa. If they can't Kroxa you, like, Timur Calls the Dead is not a good card. No. Like, if they're not leading up into Kroxaing you and you're stopping them from doing that, you're going to be at an advantage. The best way of doing that is attacking the entire graveyard with something like a lantern rather than hitting the Kroxas themselves because all it takes is them getting lucky and hitting another Kroxa if they've got a full graveyard and it just didn't matter what you did with your your cling to dust. If you're going to be playing a short game, though, like, I don't like Gruul sideboarding in graveyard hate against Rakdos. It doesn't make very much sense to me. Yeah. Just kill him. Yeah, just kill him. Lean on Scavenging Ooze if you have to do that. Like, yeah. You don't want to have dedicated graveyard in your deck when you're a, right. the aggressor in the matchup. Right. You don't want to draw a lantern. You do want to have access to, I think, four Scavenging Oozes in your 75, though. I, I think that that oh, yeah. is the responsible thing to do. Well, I think Scavenging is just one of the best two drops in the format and one of the better sideboard cards in green so Mm -hmm. you should just be having four in your 75 in the large majority of cases yep i think so too if you happen to be playing white in your creature deck i do like skyclave apparition in the matchup because they are permanent based and skyclave apparition getting a croxa is like quite good i don't know that there are any decks that can actually do that i know like there are some iterations of like green white adventure slash plus one plus one counter stuff. It seems unlikely to me that these decks are very good. They don't seem threatening to Rakdos midrange without some like pretty substantial revisions to them. I view them mostly as weaker gruel decks where they yeah. they they play the board all, all really well. To be honest, like. The, the way Conclave Mentor interacts with Swarm Shambler and Scavenging Goose and stuff like that means you can yeah. have a big board really fast. And that's like really appealing about the green-white deck, which is something I do like about it. But it's prone to getting picked apart really easily, like, mm-hmm. like green-white decks always do. If you ever wrath them or just pick off the two creatures that matter on their board, they don't have any like real advantages to fall back on. Right. I played against an Ozolith version of the deck <laughs> where I kept killing the creature and the counters would go onto the Ozolith. And at one point, like, their turn was, like, make a token with Castle Ardenvale, and then it became a 10-10. <laughs> <laughs> and then Which what is, happened? Like, 
powerful, but I had three zombies in play. So I blocked it, and then I blocked it, and then I blocked it, and then I killed my opponent. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem with green-white. Just not enough power. Like, you don't mm-hmm. have, like, an Invercleave to finish the game or something like that. Yep. I don't know if this is just my experience or what. I have not been super impressed with the Great Henge. I A lot of the games that I've played out, like, it's the last thing that my opponent does, and then they're just crossing their fingers that they can draw a creature to start a chain, and maybe they do draw a creature, and then they draw a land off of the creature and pass the turn. Or... Like, I've also just had games where, like, if one player has Kroxa going and the other player has the Great Henge, you can never save creatures in your hand for the next turn. Like, if you run out of mana, you don't get to sandbag, like, you don't get to start over again with a creature. Like, that, that your hand's going to be empty and you're just trying to draw a creature during your draw step to keep going with the Great Henge. As far as the engines available in Standard Go, I'm not super into Great Henge right now. I... Agree and disagree. I think Great Henge has got really high highs and mm-hmm. horrific lows. <laughs> uh, like the the best the Great Henge decks are the ones that have really high power, low cost creatures like Lovestruck Beast and can get them consistently. Mm-hmm. But that's pretty much just Mono Green, which has its own host of weaknesses. So I think, generally speaking, I don't like the Great Henge. I think it's a little worse than Vivian. Uh, monsters advocate as just vivian i like quite a bit yeah yeah, as just like a recurring value engine that's like somewhat difficult to deal with yeah vivian is one that i'm interested in going kind of deep in exploring and i don't think i've seen a deck that like really makes use of it to its full potential here like you don't need to have like a toolbox of creatures to tutor for or anything like that that's not what i'm talking about but there's just not like i've seen it as like okay here's my value card in my gruel deck which is like fine like okay but like can we just like play a lot of these in a mid-range deck that's really like all right now i'm pumping out these three threes and like every time i hit a creature on the top of my library like i'm really getting deep into the game like can we hit skyclave apparitions off of it or something like that probably not because green white sounds way worse than like green black or green red but i don't know something Uh, yeah and one thing that i want to be aware of with vivian and i don't know of a deck in mind like right now Mm -hmm. but just the the presence of glass pool mimic in the format makes vivian's Mm. like minus two ability pretty interesting okay because if you get to play you know any four drop or above you can always copy it yeah kind of cheating the restriction there sure i also just generally like having some number of whatever playable land creatures you can put into your deck just to up your ability. Having Kazandu Mammoth sounds like a pretty free way to make it more likely that you're getting some extra advantage off of your Vivians. Yeah, and I don't know what like blue-green or three-color deck has Glass Pole Mimic and Vivian in it, but it is an interaction I have my eye on when building mm-hmm. decks, like especially once the mana bases get more fleshed out. Sure. I also kind of, you know, like... Tangled Florahedron is, like, kind of cute there, but I'm not sure that, like, you can ever afford to just play Tangled Florahedron on turn two. It's just, like, so stompable and so Blood Chief's Thirstable and well, also so the way... is a land that comes into play tapped. Yeah. The way the Vivian works, too, you can't play lands off the top of your library, even if they're creatures on one side. 
Right. You can, you you can to only cast, cast creatures, yeah. Yeah. So I'd be like really into Tangled Floor Adrian if we were playing like our massive Vivian deck and we could just play him off the top really easily, but we can't. Yeah. Yeah, I I would like to figure out a way to make Vivian to just maximize that card. It, it definitely seems like one of the most powerful just things you can slam down on turn five without having to like put game effort into you know, you don't have to do work to set it up. You don't have to do anything with your graveyard. You don't have to have anything in your hand to make it good. Just put it into play. I, I want to put the deck building effort into it so that slamming that thing down is as good as it can be. Yeah. First turn, make a 3-3. Three, three. Second turn, when you untap with it and you have the minus two available with all your mana, like basically winning the game with the minus is something to aspire to. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to look into that some. That's probably the next thing that I'm going to work on is doing some Vivian stuff. And I mean, it helps that green is just so good that you're getting a million excellent cards anyways that I'm I'm down for this. Yeah, you don't have to stretch too far to make like a halfway reasonable deck and then you can tinker with it. Right, right, for sure. It's always a good place to start. <laughs> All right, I don't know. Anything else you want to talk about with stuff you've seen in standard, stuff you're wondering about? I've seen pretty much everything out there, so I, I, can, I can talk to most of these decks. Yeah, we've talked about like everything I've seen. I see people playing control piles, but there's no rhyme or reason to it right now. Like I've seen blue-white yeah. control, I've seen Grixis, so I've seen blue-black. They're basically. I I yeah. played against. I thought that it was it was Yorian was the companion. My opponent like played a Skyclave apparition against me and played another removal spell. So I was like, okay, there's like some sort of card advantagey blinky control thing going. They had islands, so I was like kind of playing around counter magic. And then on turn six, they just cast Garuda Doom of Depths from their hand. <laughs> Okay, what what they hit? They hit another Garuda, which then hit a Thassa, and then I played this like incredibly long game where it was like tough for me to get leverage because they kept putting like Birth of Melitus's into play, so there weren't good spots for me to cast Doom Foretold, and then they were just like attacking. That was the game where they just attacked me down to like, I, I think I ended up at one life from just Yorion attacks. And then plus my, you know, life gain and then damage to myself with a land or whatever. Like, they got me down to actual one life before I was able to get the Yorion off of the table. <laughs> it was it was quite a match. Uh, but yes, definitely the control piles that I've seen are have not been... There's nothing to focus... It's hard to focus right now. There's yeah, there's no, like, Teferi Hero of Dominaria or anything where you're like, this is the thing I want to build my deck around. Yeah. Like, Ashiok is the best you got, and it's the card is just fine. It's good, but, like, mm -hmm. it, it's not it's, flagship. It's way more of a mid-range card that, like, pushes an advantage than a thing that takes control of the game after you've, like, worn your opponent down. It, you know, Teferi giving you cards is way better than Ashiok making two threes if your plan is control the game completely until its conclusion. Like, two threes don't do that. Yeah, I've yeah, and the way I, I've also seen blue white control decks with Dream Trawler as like its finisher, mm -hmm. but I think that's got its its own kind of problems where your your deck's kind of slow. Cancels aren't particularly strong right now, so mm -mm. trying to cancel your way to a Dream Trawler is highly unreliable. Cancel is really bad. The decks that cancel is really good against traditionally are like the removal heavy board control decks that just 
they can't be to cancel. In this format, the removal heavy board control deck just has all these Kroxas in it, and uh, you're not going to beat them with counter magic. You need different stuff. So I haven't seen any cohesion in control piles nor one that's impressed me yet. Have you? Yeah. No, uh, I think that you got to combine some of these philosophies here. So the one of the other problems with the blue-white control deck, and it is like related to the neutralized problem, is your answers are not the correct ones for this format. The answers that are good for this format are the cheap removal spells that everyone is playing. So like Bone Crusher Giant and Blood Chief's Thirst, like those cards are really good. I the like blue white control just doesn't have access to like you just are you're still gonna lose to Edgewall Innkeeper. You're never beating that card, even though they only have like ten adventure guys in their deck. Like it, it's just not feasible. Uh, so you need to pull the cheap removal from some of these like. The Grixis decks have, like, good cheap removal, but they don't have a real win condition because I don't think that Ashiok works in a control deck. I think it's a mid-range thing. Dream Trawler is a great win condition, but in the blue-white decks, you're not doing the cheap stuff well. I don't know that there's a way to make this work and come up with an actual control deck with the interaction that is functional in this format and a real win condition that helps you completely lock up the game i don't know that there's a way to make it work with the mana and stuff but from what i've seen like none of the decks have both of those ingredients at the same time so yeah i think it'll be at least a set before we can see control decks emerge past Rakdos mid-range because it's kind of yeah. cornering the control game right now yeah one of the bummers to me is this is a small bummer and may not be enough to make a difference anyways, but glass casket being an artifact is like kind of brutal. <laughs> I saw a game Kenny was playing the other day where he had two Archon of Sun's Grace and three glass casts in play. <laughs> it just sucks, yeah. <laughs> I would love to play an Archon of Sun's Grace deck, but your, like, cheap enchantment-based removal is just an artifact. <laughs> Which, honestly, I, it's it's great. It's cool flavor. It but... is really cool, but, but... It, it it makes that type of deck significantly worse because you have to play a lot of glass caskets in your white reactive deck. Yeah. And it is good. It, it's a good card, losing that functionality, because I think Archon of Sun's Grace could also be a pretty well-positioned card right now, too. Uh, it is a big threat that, like, plays the game on an axis that is kind of rough for a lot of opponents. That, like, even Black-Red uh, getting a big advantage. If an Archon of Sun's Grace stays in play and then, like, makes a 2-2 and then you start gaining, like, 5 life a turn, they're in so much trouble. But your enchantment slots are really squeezed, and if my 2-mana removal spell could be an enchantment, I'd be really into the idea, but it can't, and that's that uh, honestly maybe just kills it i completely blame really poor block planning on wizard's part you can't put the the <laughs> artifact sub theme block next to the enchantment block that's next to the and they're both monocolored theme next to the tricolor block it just like makes no sense at all but what were they yeah. doing like come on <laughs> just give me just give me baffling end it's like a perfect card. 
and hilarious in addition to being like beautifully designed there's no dinosaurs anywhere i know oh, i see your note on here where i noted like omnath definitely needed to get banned did clover and then you, in all caps you asked <laughs> did escape to the wild and i mean my question was by implication like no obviously escape to the wild <laughs> didn't need to get banned that's why i didn't even ask it i know but i was still upset <laughs> i'm still upset i really like escape to wilds yeah i know it's an innocent card just a victim of the environment that it was it brought was, into. it was literally caught in the crossfire yeah we all have been though i mean yeah so i guess we should all be sympathetic to escape to the wilds yes please think of escape to the wilds tonight <laughs> <laughs> you want to answer a patreon question are you done with standard yeah. Sure, yeah, I'm done with Standard. For now, at least. No, I'll, I'll probably go play a little bit as soon as we're done recording. Yeah, you got some Vivian decks to work on. Yeah. So, Chase asks, Do you guys think we'll ever get back to normal tournaments slash events again? And what's the first thing you guys are going to do at an event? I, I believe we will get back to them eventually. I think that our political leadership has dropped the ball in such a spectacular way that we are at this point now years removed from it <laughs> yeah i i don't know when it's gonna be happening but i know wizards is literally still printing physical cards and no one in at least america can realistically play in paper with them true i mean people's uses for paper cards like attending tournaments is a tiny fraction of what people use paper cards for yes but like it's still hard to gather you know right and even if you're doing that not at a tournament you still like playing edh with your friends like you do have Mm -hmm. to gather and it's much harder but they're still printing cards which means that it's not like a complete conversion to digital Right. And I think it's going to be an incredibly smart business move on Wizards' part if they, like, once everything's safe, they just have a huge welcome back paper, GP, Magic Fest, whatever thing. Mm-hmm. Mythic Fest, maybe we'll call it. <laughs> and, like, that'll be really cool, you know? Yeah, for sure. I, you know, it's going to be longer than you think. Not you, Lee, but, like, longer than just... I think longer than we would think when we're like, when will we get back to magic? Man, hopefully by like summer of next, just like the thing is that a magic tournament is pretty much the worst combination of all of the things. Yeah. So even when like some stuff starts opening up and some gatherings can start happening and whatever, a tournament of a bunch of people in the same room playing directly across from each other, touching the same cards as each other, flying into the event from a bunch of different places and then going back home like this is as super spreader event like you know you can't dream up something like this like playing plague inc like this is just like a dream for the virus basically so you know it's a long time before it would be responsible to do this given how badly the pandemic has been controlled so it's gonna take some patience for sure yeah, my, my optimistic view is, like, 
you know, summer 2022. That's optimistic. I, I, I mean, I think it's like pretty much vaccine dependent at this point because I just have no faith that like actual pandemic prevention measures. Oh, yeah. My, my estimation is completely based on what I've read about vaccines. Right. Right. I, just because like we're so like several countries did manage to pretty much do uh, oh, most other countries, basically yeah. everybody else has managed to do the quarantining slash pandemic prevention things that negated that blunted a lot of the power of it and eventually got back to mostly normal life there are you know tournaments and stuff in other places and they're fine now we are in a weird spot where not only do we not quite not only do we not manage to do that but we used up everybody's willpower to actually like do the preventative things somehow without actually doing them in an effective way so we're just like never going to get there, even if like somehow Joe Biden is like magical, inspirational president who implements a bunch of like super effective policies and leads all the governors. And like, like people just aren't going to be willing to do the stuff because they're like, well, we've been doing it for so long and it didn't work. And it's like, well, we haven't been doing them and that's why it didn't work. But uh, I don't believe the willpower is there to actually actually beat this in a normal way it has to be the special technique of we we got the vaccine we can do this now yep that's sad what's the what's but i am looking forward to that that first tournament that'll be a a good tournament yeah i agree i yeah but then i really would like to go play in another tournament like the tricky thing though is the um the fake first tournament because there will be an unsafe one I guarantee you. <laughs> right. yeah. And people will be like kind of hyped for that one. And some people will go and I just have to avoid that one. Because sure. And that'll be the heartbreaking. <laughs> I see. I don't know. I, I feel like anything that is like a Wizards or Star City event or whatever. Like I feel like they're going to be very cautious with when they finally get us back together for one of these things. I was thinking more so. of like locally. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm pretty much going to be avoiding like IQ type tournaments. There won't be actual IQs because I think Star City is too cognizant of the risks, but that type of local thing I'm pretty not into doing until, you know, actual post-vaccine era. What's the first thing you're going to do at an event? The first thing I always do, walk up to the judges station and grab a deck list. That's an incredibly lame answer. Yeah, but like it's still a tournament. Just make up something for the people. No, I'm not going to lie. I would never lie to my audience. I'm going to run up to Dom Harvey and give him a big hug. Okay, that's pretty nice. I'm sure Dom will be happy to hear that. Yeah. Listen, I'm going to... I don't know. I may never hug anyone again after this. I'm too, like... Like, my, like, hug circuitry is just, like, (laughs) gone. Like, I've never... I haven't exercised my capacity in so long that I, I may be physically incapable of it it's okay you can take a break but you cannot live a life without hugs it's just uh it's too much <laughs> <sighs> i don't know yeah the uh the touch starvation side of the pandemic is uh it's a brutal one <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why i'm not gonna grab a deck list of the first tournament yeah i mean not a lot of love in the like deck list portion of the thing but you know i'll probably be like 
running late and I got to get my deck list done. <laughs> Wink at the judge as you grab your deck list. <laughs> yeah, that's my human interaction. <laughs> Say something creepy, like standing in a circle, like, man, I can't believe how nice it is to be able to see people's mouths again. Yeah, just like... Everybody looks at you like... Ugh, everyone looks uh, at you and says, yeah, I know. <laughs> Oof, we gotta not be fantasizing about being at a turn. It's too early. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just gonna cause mental distress. But for now, it's kind of nice. Yeah, a little bit. Healthy dose. All right, then we should wrap it up before we get depressed. Yeah, for sure. All right, thanks so much for everybody for listening. We really, really appreciate your time. Appreciate you tuning in. If you'd like to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. We actually have gotten a few new patrons over the past couple of days. I think probably in response to our patron only bonus episode so uh i am glad that people are interested in the stuff that we've been talking about and we will try to continue doing that i don't have a list of names in front of me so i will read those out before the next episode so we will we'll get that done we will give you your recognition and also your swag and stuff i will be sending those out anybody who wants that swag please sign up if you want to find us online, we are on social media. I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. At Lee McLeo. That's it for us. Have a great week. Bye. <laughs>